0: Welcome. This is a human interest podcast made up of stories about people who are traveling about by train or bus. The stories, 15 or 20 minutes long, are based on actual experiences that have occurred across the United States. Welcome to Rails and Trails. Damn it, Darlene. Why do you always have to dress like a hussy? The middle-aged plus woman ignored his remark and flashed a mischievous smile along with a little flip of her boa. Yes, you heard that correctly, her boa. They came out of the casino's main entrance just as I was walking in, and to be frank, she carried herself with an unmistakably suggestive flare. I returned an impartial nod, skirting my way into the lobby. I was checking into the Santa Ana Star Casino between Bernalillo and Rio Rancho, north of Albuquerque. After getting some dinner, I tried my gaming hand for about a half hour, before concluding that the best use of my hotel room, ahead of a full travel day on Monday, was to sleep in it. Sooner, better than later. My sort of travel leans heavily in favor of getting sleep when you've got the chance. I wrapped up my business in Rio Rancho late Monday morning, and in minutes I was in an Uber on my way to the Albuquerque Amtrak station, downtown on the east side of the Rio Grande. I arrived there at 10.45, an hour before my scheduled departure, which was already delayed. This day I was traveling on Amtrak Route 4, the Southwest Chief from Albuquerque to Chicago. It originates in L.A., but from Albuquerque it's a 26-hour ride that crosses some or all of New Mexico, Colorado, Kansas, Missouri, Iowa, and Illinois. The historical name of the route is the Santa Fe Trail. Inside the terminal, I was greeted by a friendly young security officer with a beard, a ponytail, and a highly professional demeanor. He reviewed the ticketing documents on my device with serious attention, looking up at me after reviewing my information. Very businesslike, it felt reassuring. He was serious about his job. A Couple of more delay notifications appeared on my device as I waited, along with some 25 other travelers, all patiently marking time in the station lobby. After finding a seat, a visibly paranoid individual entered the station, appearing to use his phone to film a video. With an air of monomania, he panned the station from side to side, muttering to the universe in a language that has yet to be written. I didn't catch what was said by the security guard, but the videographer challenged him with an exaggerated exchange that made no sense. It was utterly incoherent, but the tone of his voice was perfectly clear, and then, poof, he was gone, vanished into thin air. The atmosphere remained relatively mundane for about 20-25 minutes, until a big, rough-looking guy with a messy beard showed up, face-to-face in front of the security guard. The individual was enraged and began earnestly challenging the guard's authority. You're nothing. An imposter. Here and now, I order you to abandon this post. The guard stood his post. The guy declared that he was coming with the real law. security guard remained calm and steady. This fuming individual with his raging guttural voice stood in the center of the vestibule, becoming louder and angrier. His assertions continued until he was right in the security guard's face, roaring, It's over for you! Saliva encircled his mouth, glistening in contrast to the burning redness of his face. We're coming, and this time we're going to finish the job, the people's job. Do you hear me? Do you hear me? Do you hear me? He roared this at least five more times, his voice convulsing in anger. And then suddenly he was gone, vanished, before anyone could formulate an appropriate response or call the police, I suppose. I considered if he would be back or not. Notably, the security guard stood his ground, calmly facing the distraught individual with professionalism and confidence. It was impressive, and I told him as much. A transaction of humankind was in the station. A couple, consisting of two gentlemen with matching sweaters and earbuds, seemed detached from the excitement, preoccupied with their music, or perhaps a favorite podcast. A group of nine Amish folks traveling together, as they often do, were there. The circle included an adult male with special needs, who paced the perimeter of the room, with or without assistance, taking the most miniature steps. His straw hat was taller than the others, and sat atop his friendly round face with a branded sort of individuality. Particularly amusing were the Amish women, huddled around the television, intensely watching a soap opera. The keenness of their interest was instructive, and my amusement resulted in me laughing out loud, notwithstanding cultures and traditions. Some things, I suppose, are universally addictive. I found another place to sit, where I could plug in my phone charger. An empty seat separated me from the man who wore a dirty white sweatshirt with the word THINK in bold black letters. He drank cans of soda pop while we waited. And when I say he drank them, what I'm saying is that he guzzled them. He popped the top and moments later placed the empty can beside him on the empty seat. A few minutes later, he was back feeding coins in the machine. I observed this action repeated three times. On board, I was joined by Bill, a friendly guy who grew up in Brooklyn and moved to Albuquerque in the late 1960s to attend the university. His academic plan included studies in archeology span and anthropology. He stayed in New Mexico after finishing school and ended up working in the mental health field before commencing a career with an airline. He has since retired from the airline and does volunteer work on Albuquerque hiking trails through a local agency tending to outdoor spaces. His volunteer work includes building and maintaining the trails. He is an avid hiker, and an exceptional conversationalist. He has a son whom he clearly loves and appreciates, and he loves music. We exchange tales of significant musical experiences, including various concerts we have attended, from the Rolling Stones to the Moody Blues. I knew immediately that Bill was good company and a quality guy, interesting, likable, and a curious listener. There's an old Charlie Daniels song, that says you can take the boy out of the country, but it's hell getting all the country out of the boy. I find truth in these lyrics. Similarly, my experience convinced me that you can take a New Yorker out of Brooklyn, but you're fooling yourself if you think you'll ever get the Brooklyn out of the New Yorker. Bill is living proof of this contention. And it was a delight listening to this great New Yorker in absentia for 50 years. Speak with joy about the neighborhoods that are still home. But it's also complex. Bill's general fondness for his adopted homeland is sincere, though I believe he considers himself a resident alien of sorts. He speaks of his work on the trails around Albuquerque as he might of a pizzeria in Brooklyn. Both are personified, both have soulful qualities. The Santa Fe Trail line from Albuquerque to Trinidad is a visual delight. It climbs steadily toward Raton, passing through Limey, near Santa Fe, and Las Vegas, New Mexico. The views are stunning as it makes its way through rugged, rocky crags, with streams often bone dry, but at times flowing with crystal-clear water. The determination and sheer might of life is displayed in the many wildflowers scattered among the hardness of rock and the fierceness of the environment. Their bright message of hope and beauty is both delicate and invincible. I commented to Bill on some wildflowers that I believe to be a variety of black-eyed Susan. He volunteered that 90% of the wildflowers in New Mexico are some variety of aster, and confessed that his response, whenever asked about a particular flower, is to say he's not sure, but he thinks it's some kind of aster. (laughs) I laughed and was fairly certain that I had a title for an episode. A modest sign marks the highest point on the Santa Fe Trail, at 7,588 feet, directly on the north side of the tunnel near Raton Pass. It's quieting to reflect on the long and storied history of these routes. In 1878, the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad purchased Raton Pass from Uncle Dick Wooten, ushering a new era into the region. The trail over the pass had begun 12 or 15 years earlier as a toll road for wagons and livestock. The blasting and construction was completed primarily by the labors of indigenous peoples, including native Utes, who can count the likely human cost of such rugged progress against the fierceness of the elements in an untamed region. I met a delightful young woman named Maria. She was traveling to Chicago to join family, a brother, an uncle, some cousins perhaps. Our communication was limited, although her English skills are better than my Spanish. But we worked our way into some good conversation. She spoke about her two children, a daughter and a son. She tells me that she's going to Chicago because she's ready for a change. We didn't discuss the details of what this means. Once we entered Colorado, daylight began to fade. Little by little, the terrain flattened as processing facilities and grain elevators became the primary relief visible in the landscape. I was ready to put my seat back and get some rest, and I was asleep before we crossed the Kansas State line. Somewhere south and west of Topeka, I awakened to the early morning gray skies of the plains. It was drizzling, and only traces of daylight were peeking through the heavy canopy. Most riders were still asleep, and I remained in a sort of trance, my attention fixed on the rocking motion of the train. I observed the oil pump jacks that dot the Kansas countryside, watching the big cams turning as they follow their recurring arc. This equipment is familiar to me, having lived for several years in the Sunflower State. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. The cafe car is now open. The attendant made his announcement just after departing the station in Topeka. That was my cue, and I acted without hesitation to get a cup of coffee. I lined up with half a dozen other connoisseurs. Taking two cups with me to the observation car, I settled in to shake off the morning grogginess. I was finishing the second cup just as the conductor announced our imminent arrival in Kansas City. KC is a smoke break designated stop and for one particular passenger, it couldn't have come at a more important time. I have never before witnessed the healing power of the cigarette, but I did on this day. The unshaven gentleman with disheveled hair was unsteady as he stepped down from the passenger car in a pair of khakis and a basic white t-shirt that was a size too small for his trunk. He reached the platform and was hustling nearby persons for a smoke. I was standing on the platform, talking with Maria, and taking in the area around Union Station. I pointed to the Western Auto sign, an iconic part of downtown Kansas City. I turned slightly toward the train, just in time to witness the disheveled gentleman as he lost control of his body and toppled over onto the concrete floor of the platform. He went down pretty hard, and those of us standing nearby immediately responded. Somebody ran down the platform to get the assistance of a conductor. The body was lying flat on his back, and one of his shoes had come off, about eight feet away from his motionless frame. He was supine for a few minutes and verbally unresponsive. Eventually, he regained his ability to communicate and urgently requested a cigarette. Somebody offered one up, and he remained there, partially shoeless and flat on his back while the trained personnel attended to him. Little by little, as he drew puffs from the cigarette, he recomposed himself and, with some assistance, was able to ambulate back to the rail car. He declined medical attention, but he thought it prudent to have one more smoke before boarding. After taking a long final drag, he got back on the train, carrying his disunited shoe. It was miraculous to behold. We journeyed on, traveling through the agricultural landscape of north central Missouri. Midway across the state, I changed my plans and decided to get off the train in southeast Iowa rather than go on to Chicago. We pulled into the station about 3 p.m. and I offered Bill, Maria, and a couple of other fellow travelers my best wishes for the future. I gathered my things and disembarked the chief in the site of the reportedly haunted old federal prison in Fort Madison. Hey everybody, this is Daniel and I want to thank you for spending some of today with Rails and Trails podcast. The work of Rails and Trails is to bring you stories based on actual human events that have happened while out across the country traveling on trains and buses. The mission of Rails and Trails is to look for the sacred in these human interactions. So far as possible, the stories are presented in an unvarnished manner. Only first names are used to preserve anonymity. I am guided by the idea that God comes to us in the grit and grain of our daily lives, and I have no doubt completely missed plenty of those visits. The illustrative account in Matthew 25 shows me what this looks like and it's a text with the capacity to make me shudder. Each person introduced in this podcast is a human being and is due the same dignity as all of us. I am grateful for your interest in the podcast and humbly appreciate all supporters and subscribers. I love hearing from you. If you haven't yet subscribed, I hope you will do so today. Rails and Trails is my creation and is produced by Second Half LLC. Thanks again.